Hello, Renaissance Church. My name is Christian Andrews, and I've been invited to be your new lead pastor. I could not be more excited. In the next few weeks, my wife and kids and I will be packing in our boxes and heading north to Summit. And then on September 4th, we'll be with you again. And on that Sunday, I'll have the chance to share a bit more of my story with you. The next Sunday on the 11th, we'll begin a sermon series on faith. And I am confident that God is gonna do really great things. I'm so thankful to be a part of it with you. And so I look forward to meeting you on the 4th. We'll see you then. That's some of the best news that I have heard all summer. It's exciting. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. I want to pray for Christian and his family. Father, thank you for uh, the blessing that you have given us uh, in providing a, a, a new lead pastor for us. I thank you for Christian. I thank you for Michelle, his wife, and for uh, Nathan and Lily. I pray for them as they are packing up, as they're getting ready to move up here from uh, Red Bank, uh, and we pray that you would Help them with all of the, the logistics of that. I pray that all the details would work out well, the move would go smoothly. Pray that they would be able to uh, really integrate themselves both into Renaissance but also into the Summit community. And I pray that as Christian began, begins to uh, minister here, especially on Sunday mornings uh, this coming uh, September 4th, pray that you would bless him richly and that you would bless us richly through him. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Can you tell them I'm a little bit excited to have Christian coming? It's going to be great. And if you haven't had a chance, if you haven't had a chance to see the video of his message, it's available on our website. Take the 30 minutes or so. It is absolutely worth it. It's a great message in which Christian talks some about what his hopes are for uh, his ministry here as our new lead pastor at Renaissance. And one of the things that he talks about is he said that he hopes that more and more Renaissance will be a church where people can come and see Jesus. I mean, that's what we're about. We're a place where we want people who don't know Jesus to be able to come to feel comfortable hearing the message of Jesus, to find out more about who he is and come to have a relationship with him. And that's what Christian's excited about. We're excited about that as well. And this morning, I want to pick up on that idea, that one aspect of that idea of coming and seeing Jesus. Some of you know that before I came here about just a little over nine years ago to Renaissance, I was a chaplain a little bit south here at uh, Princeton University. I did that for about 13 years. And every year, uh, Princeton has a, a really unusual kind of a, a, an academic schedule. Exams are actually after Christmas. So you go home for Christmas break for two or three weeks, and you spend, actually your freshman year, you spend all your time studying your sophomore year, you bring the books home and you do a little bit of studying. Your junior year, you don't bring the books home and you feel guilty about not bringing the books home. And your senior year, you just forget about the whole thing. Anyway, so exams are after Christmas and then there's this one week break at the end of January before the new spring semester starts. And so the ministry that I was involved in, we would always take the students on a ski retreat during that intercession week there. And the students would sometimes invite their friends who weren't involved in our ministry. And, and one year, several of the guys invited one of their friends whose name was Motohiro. He was from uh, Japan, and the, the guys all called him Moto, which was a, a great name. He was kind of a spark plug of a guy, and it was really just wonderful uh, to get to know him. But Moto had been a, a little bit hesitant about coming on the trip because he was not from a Christian background, and so he wasn't sure whether he should come. And, uh, but his friends told him that it was okay, that that was fine, and you know, he, he could come along on the trip. Anyway, fast forward to Thursday night. 
every Thursday night of the retreat, we would take the evening and the students would have a chance to stand up and share with one another different things that were going on in their lives, maybe a challenge that they were having, something that had been going really well, uh, something that they had learned in the past year, maybe a way that God had been working in their lives over the past year, maybe something that had happened on that retreat that in a way that God had really spoken to them. So Moto stood up towards the end of the time and he began to share and he mentioned that he had been a little hesitant to come on the retreat, but he figured he liked skiing and this was one of the least expensive ski retreats. So he figured he could come on that and he came and he really enjoyed the skiing and the food was really great and you know, et cetera. And then he said something that I've never forgotten. Moto said that probably the biggest thing that had happened to him in the past year was coming on this retreat and seeing the love that the students in our ministry had for one another. And when he first said it, I thought that he was talking about the love that they had for him, the way that they had welcomed him, the way that they had been friendly to him, and it just kind of brought them in and made him part of the group. But that wasn't, wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about the love that they had for one another. And he talked about the way in which they just would greet each other when they saw each other, that they would take a real interest in each other's lives. They seemed to know what was going on in each other's lives. They'd talk with each other and they'd pray for each other and they'd encourage each other. And he said they even would confront each other. When somebody was doing something obnoxious, somebody would take them aside and say, hey, that's not appropriate. They were willing to love one another, to be vulnerable with one another, to the point of being willing to confront one another. And he said, I have never seen that in any relationship I have. It's not true in my family. It's not true in my closest friends. It's not true in any relationship that I have. And he said, and I'm not sure where that comes from, but I think it has something to do with God. And I want to know more about this God who these students who my peers, my friends have a relationship with such that it affects their lives and they love one another in a way that's attractive to me. And this morning, I want to look at a passage in which Jesus talks about that kind of love, the kind of love that when we have it for one another, other people notice and they say, hey, I want some of that. I want to be part of that. And I want to look at a passage in the Gospel of John. It's written by Jesus' best friend, the Apostle John. And he writes in John chapter 13, and he's talking about uh, the last night that Jesus was with his disciples. And in verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And that's exactly what was happening with those students on our ski retreat. They're loving one another. Moto sees it and he says, I don't know exactly what's going on with that, but I want to find out more. And so for the next several months, Moto began to explore who is God? Who is Jesus? What does it mean to have a relationship with him? And why is it that if you're a follower of Jesus, why is it that if you're a Christian, you can have these kind of relationships with other people? Because Moda was seeing Jesus in his friends 
even though we didn't really know it at the time. And I want to take a closer look then at what Jesus was saying. In verse 34, he says, a new command I give you, love one another. So ask yourself this question. If, you, if you've been around the church, if you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you know that the command to love one another is not really a new command. It's something that's been part of Christianity. It's been part of Judaism down through the ages. Think of the golden rule. Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 12 says, in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. There's nothing new about loving others. Way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus, Moses writes, he says, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that essentially what Jesus is saying when he says it's a, a new command that we're to love one another? So this idea of the command being new can't be that loving one another is something new. So the question becomes then, what is it that's new when Jesus says we're supposed to love one another? <clears throat> and the answer is found really in the second half of verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And that's the new aspect to it. Not the concept of loving one another, but loving one another in the way that Jesus is loving his followers. And to understand what he means by that, we need to go back an hour or two earlier to earlier in the evening when they were gathered together, Jesus and his, his 12 disciples were gathered together in a room high up in one of the houses, and they're celebrating the Jewish Passover together. And it's going to be, though the disciples don't necessarily know it at the time, this is going to be Jesus' last meal with his disciples before he goes to the cross and dies the next day on Good Friday. John chapter 13, verse 1, John writes, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So it's John is, is emphasizing the love that Jesus has for his followers there. He got up, verse 4, from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place, and he said, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You're not familiar with the culture. In those days, people wore sandals, open-toed shoes. The roads were typically unpaved. They're covered with dirt. They're covered with mud. The animals shared the same roads that are covered with animal dung. By the time you finish walking to wherever you're going, your feet are going to be just covered in grime. They're going to be smelly, and you're going to want to wash your feet. So it was customary in those days when you went to someone's house, especially for a meal, that the host would provide a basin of water and a towel so that you could wash your feet when you entered into the house. And if the, if the host were particularly well-to-do, he might actually have a servant available to do the washing for you so that you wouldn't even have to wash your own feet. Somebody would pr be provided to wash your feet for you. 
And often, especially in a, in a Jewish home, they would actually have a Gentile, a non-Jew, do the foot washing because Jews con considered it to be beneath even other Jews, even Jews who were servants, it would be beneath them to wash the feet of somebody else. So this was the typical situation. But in this particular case, there was no servant. Perhaps they didn't have the money to be able to afford one. Maybe somebody wasn't available. Whatever it might be, there was no servant there and nobody else got up to wash anybody's feet. So these guys are sitting around and their feet are filthy and they stink and nobody's doing anything to take care of it. So after the meal, Jesus stands up, puts a towel around his waist, picks up the basin of water, and he starts washing his disciples' feet. Now put yourself in their shoes, right? Jesus is a rabbi. He is a teacher. He's the one they follow. He's the one that they respect. How are you going to feel if you're sitting there and Jesus gets up, picks up the basin of water, and starts washing your feet? You're going to be shocked. I mean, first of all, he's a rabbi. Rabbis don't do that. Secondly, he's your teacher. You're going to feel embarrassed. Why is he washing my feet? I should be washing his feet. Why was I so proud? Why was I so arrogant? Why didn't I care enough to wash Jesus' feet? And you know, he's washing everybody else's feet as well. I should have been doing that. Man, what an idiot I am. That's what these guys are feeling at this point as Jesus is washing their feet. They're too proud, but Jesus wasn't too proud. It wasn't beneath him. They didn't care enough, but Jesus did. He cared enough and he was humble enough to do what they were unwilling to do. He laid aside his status as their teacher, as their Lord, as their rabbi. He laid aside his status to become their servant. They had a need. Jesus saw it. He loved them and he humbled himself and he met their need. And then later that night, in John chapter 15, maybe a half hour, 45 minutes or so later, he took it a step further. John 15, verse 12, my command is this, Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And that's exactly what Jesus did the next day. So earlier in the evening, he shows them his love by serving them, by humbling himself and washing their feet in order to meet a very practical need that they had. And then the next day, he humbled himself again, hung on the cross, sacrificed himself for them to meet a need that was so much greater than washing dirty feet. He cleansed their feet that evening, and the next day, he cleansed their sins. He knew what their need was, and he did whatever it took to meet their need. And that's what's new about that command to love one another. Jesus is saying, I am doing whatever it takes to meet your need because I love you. Whether it's humility, whether it's sacrifice, whether it's inconvenience, whatever it is, I'm going to do what it takes to meet your need, even to the point of dying for you. And that's 
the kind of love that I want you to have for one another. Not in order to earn my love, but because I love you, I want you to show that same kind of love to each other. That's the kind of love that Jesus wanted them to have for one another. About uh, 350 or so years after that, uh, Julian rose to power in the Roman Empire. Julian was the nephew of uh, Constantine, and uh, he was the last non-Christian emperor in the Roman Empire. Christianity was beginning to spread throughout the Roman Empire, and after Julian died, it became more and more not just the official religion, but practically speaking, the dominant religion in Rome, in the Roman Empire. And Julian hated the idea that Christianity was, was spreading. He was a committed pagan, and he wanted to see paganism reestablished as the primary religion throughout the Roman Empire. And he saw the way the Christians were caring for the poor and for the needy, and it infuriated him because it was attracting people to Christianity and away from paganism. So he wrote several letters to different priests, to pagan priests throughout the Roman Empire, encouraging them and trying to start a, a social program to help the poor and needy, not so much because he actually cared about the poor and needy, but because the Christians were doing it so well that it was taking people away from paganism, and he wanted to counter that. And we have a record of some of what he wrote. He writes, these impious Galileans, which was his word for Christians, these impious Galileans not only feed their own poor, but ours also, welcoming them into their agape, which is one of the words for love. They attract them as children are attracted with cakes. Whilst the pagan priests neglect the poor, the hated Galileans devote themselves to work of charity and by a display of false compassion have established themselves and given effect to their pernicious errors. See their love feasts and their tables spread for the indigent. Such practice is common among them and causes a contempt for our gods. Julian was no friend of Christianity, but even he had to grudgingly admit that 400 years, 350 years or so, after Jesus had given that command to his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. Three centuries later, his followers were still following and obeying that command. And Julian had to grudgingly admit it. And not only Julian, but people throughout the Roman Empire were seeing the kind of love that the Christians had for one another that even extended to people outside of their group. And they were saying, something is different about that. I want to find out more about Christianity. They began to explore Christianity and they began to, to convert to Christianity all because Jesus' disciples had obeyed the command to love one another. And as Jesus had said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, if you have love for one another. Last week, somebody told me about a, a woman who comes to Renaissance uh, regularly. She's started coming fairly recently, but she's been coming pretty regularly. And she invited one of her friends 
to join her at Renaissance. And they come in the front door and someone greets them. And they're walking up the three flights of stairs and two or three other people say hello and recognized her and said it was good to see her again at Renaissance. And then they come into the cafe and several people come over and start talking to them. They sit down and somebody starts talking to them. And the woman turns to her, a friend whom she had brought, said, what is with this friendly church? Do you like know all of these people? And the woman said, I know a few of them. I don't know most of them, but they've seen me before and they're glad that I'm here. And I think they're probably glad that you're here too. And the woman's just kind of like, I've never seen that before in any church that I've been to. And then somebody else told me about uh, a, a relative, a friend whose uh, son was going to be moving into a new home. And one of the father's friends heard about it. And the father, the friend, and the son had never met one another. But when this friend heard that the son was moving into a new home, he said, hey, can I help your son move into that home? And he went, and he helped the son move into his, his new home. And the son is like, dad, what's the deal with this guy? And the father was able to explain. He cares about me. And as a result, he cares about you. And he just wanted to help you because that's what Jesus is about. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us. That's the kind of love that he has for you. And it made his son stop and think a little bit about that. And I heard about another person who was in the hospital. And so many people from Renaissance came and visited that person in the hospital that the hospital staff was like, you got a pretty large family, but they don't all look like each other. What's going on with that? They're not family members. Well, in a sense, they are. They're the family of God. And we're a family in some sense like that. And so when the people are visiting one another in the hospital, the staff took notice of it and they wanted to find out more about why. And there's example after example after example. When we greet each other, when we help each other move, when we visit each other in the hospital, when we bring a meal to someone who has just had a baby, when we hang out and have coffee, when we do whatever it may be, when we show the love of Christ to each other, other people see that, other people notice that, and they are drawn to Jesus. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And that's part of what it means for Renaissance to be a church where people can come and see Jesus. That's part of what Christian was talking about last week. And that's one of the desires that we here at Renaissance have is that more and more and more, we would be a place where people would come, where they would see Jesus in our relationships with one another. They're gonna hear about him as well as we speak on Sunday mornings. And there are so many other opportunities for them to come and see Jesus here. But all of us can be involved in helping people to come and see Jesus as we love one another in the same way that Jesus loves us. Last week, Christian encouraged us to, uh, to think of a friend, think of a relative, think of a loved one, a coworker, somebody whom we know who needs to meet Jesus. And he told us, and I love the way he put, put this, he said, before you talk to your friend about Jesus, talk to Jesus about your friend. I love the way that he put it that way. And he encouraged us to be praying for our friend this week and next week and really every week. 
and asking God to begin to work in their hearts. So think for a minute about that friend, perhaps whom you've been praying for this past week. But I want you to go a step further. Okay, we're talking to Jesus about the friend whom we know needs to know Jesus. Let's go a step further and let's talk to Jesus about our friends at Renaissance. Let's talk to Jesus about the relationship that we have with our friends at Renaissance. And ask yourself this question as you're praying. If my friends outside of Renaissance, and especially that friend for whom I've been praying, if my friends outside of Renaissance could see my relationships with the people I know at Renaissance, would they see Jesus? Do my friends see Jesus in my relationship with you guys? If so, that's an incredibly positive testimony. If not, we've all got room for growth. And if you, as you're praying about this, are convicted that, yeah, you know what, I could do better, then ask Jesus to specifically show you how you can love other people at Renaissance in a very practical way. Ask him to increase your heart for them. Ask him to give you the same kind of heart for each other, for one another, that he has for us. And ask him to show us how we can take even small steps to grow in our love in a practical way for one another. So whether it is greeting someone on Sunday morning, I know we're coming in and we're five minutes late, so we're rushing up the stairs, we're dropping our kids off, we're grabbing a cup of coffee, the first song has already started playing, we're sitting down, take the extra 30 seconds and say hi to somebody and ask them how their week was. That's a great way to show them that you care about them. Send somebody a text message during the week and ask them how they're doing. I heard about a guy who sends a lot of people throughout the week different text messages. Hey, how did this presentation go at work? I've been praying for your daughter who's sick. What's happening in this particular situation? It only takes him a couple minutes, but he sends those text messages and it makes a real difference in the lives of people because I know about that because somebody just told me this week about that person and how important it was to them and how encouraging it was to them to be receiving those text messages. Set up a time to have coffee with someone and then don't talk so much about yourself. Ask them about themselves. What's going on in your life? How are things at work? What's happening with your family members? Hey, what was your vacation like this year? Don't talk so much about yourself, but just ask them about themselves and see how God works to develop that relationship. You hear about someone who's had a baby, volunteer to bring them a meal. Someone's in the hospital, go visit them. You get the idea. There are so many different ways in which we can love each other and show the love of Christ to one another. And then other people see that and they're drawn to Jesus. So ask Jesus to show you how he wants you to grow in your love for others at Renaissance. And then pray as you're praying for your friend, as you're praying for that friend who needs to, to know Jesus, pray that when they look at you and your relationships, they will see Jesus in those relationships and ultimately they'll be drawn to Jesus. That's exactly what happened with my friend Moto. Moto saw Jesus in the relationships with his peers, in the relationships with his fellow students, in the relationships with the guys who invited him to come on the ski trip, in the relationships with the people whom he met on that retreat, and he wanted to find out more. He began exploring 
And I think it was about three months later, Moto said, you know what? I want to become a follower of Jesus too. And his life was transformed and people began to be able to see in him the love of Jesus as he displayed it in his relationships with other people. Imagine for a minute if Renaissance were that kind of a place. Imagine if when people walked in our doors, when people got to know us, when people came to our barbecues and our men's group on Wednesday nights and our women's group on Thursday morning and our small groups at different times during the week and playing hockey with the guys on Saturday morning and whatever it is, when people encounter a group of people from Renaissance, they look and they say, something, something is different about these people and I want to find out more about what that is. And then they discover it's that we have a relationship with Jesus. Imagine if people would be able to come and see Jesus even more than they already can at Renaissance. We're doing pretty well, but there's always room for improvement. So ask God to show you what you can do so that others will see Jesus in your relationships with the people at Renaissance. And let's all of us pray that Renaissance will more and more, as the days and weeks and months and years go by, that Renaissance will more and more be a place where people can come and see Jesus and be drawn to him and begin to develop a life-changing and a life-saving relationship with him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's pretty amazing to think that you have given us the privilege of spreading the news about who you are, even through our relationships with one another. I thank you that you were willing to wash your disciples' feet. I thank you especially that you were willing to die on the cross the next day. I thank you for the privilege that we have of, of being your children. And I pray that as we love each other, as we care each other, care for each other, as we follow your command to love one another as you have loved us, I pray that people would see your love in us and that they would be drawn to you. I pray for those friends for whom we're praying. I pray that you'd begin to work in their hearts even this week to prepare them for the time when they may come and see Jesus. And I pray for each of us that we would take the time to stop and to think and to pray and to examine our hearts and ask you how we can grow in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ around us here at Renaissance and wherever we may find ourselves. And I pray that as we do, others would look at our relationships and they would see you. And I pray that they would be drawn to you. And I pray that the day would come when they come to know you, when they become followers of Jesus, and they too can join us in worshiping you and in praising you and in loving the people around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been great to see you this morning. If you've got some time, uh, come back at 1140 or so. We would love to celebrate communion with you if you're a follower of Jesus. Thanks.